0: Hello and welcome to the Death of the Roman Republic's review of the 2005 HBO original series, Rome. Ladies and gentlemen, Death of the Roman Republic reviews HBO's Rome episode, uh, season one, episode four, Stealing from Saturn. We have fresh off of his... Pan's performance, thespian icon, Jacob, taking point this episode. So, Jacob, what can you tell us about Stealing from Saturn?
1: Well, first of all, don't forget I was voted most improved player of my Ultimate Frisbee team as well. That so is true. We got to, we're piling up the accolades. No, um, Stealing from Saturn, let's jump into it. Um, our episode opens. We are in the Pompeian camp. There is the sound of a man groaning. He is being hung by his feet we move inside the camp we got our friends pompey we got cato we got cicero they're discussing the situation because if we recall they are goldless and goldless is to be poor and hungry etc cetera, etc cetera. um they have discovered the fate of the gold um after the the groaning outside that was torture to figure out what happened to it
0: We stand. um
1: yes uh durio has been killed as we know and the gold taken However, it doesn't seem that Caesar has the gold, which is good news. It seems, as uh, I mean, obviously Pom- Pompey wants the gold, but if Caesar doesn't have it, there's some silver lining because <laughs> Caesar's going to have a hard time winning over the people of Rome if he does not have money to buy off the people of Rome.
0: Well, well said, and Jacob, real quick, who who's the head torturer in this circumstance that's extracting this information? Uh,
1: it is the son of uh, one Pompey Magnus. It is uh, Quintus Pompey. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Yes. Um, he will He will pop up from time to time in this episode. Uh, so we jump to Rome. Uh, our favorite newsman, what's his official name? Tucker Carlson.
0: Um, no, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on IMDb, I'm he's credited as a newsreader. So yeah, just a newsreader. reader.
1: Yeah. The news reader is delivering the news, and the news is, uh, well, it's it's bad if you are a Pompeian. Uh, Martial law is in effect in Rome, along with the curfew, because our good friend Julius Caesar is in town.
2: I do have one thing to talk about with this, and it's a. I think it's the perfect time to bring this up, as it has been a continuity question I've had throughout the series, and I don't know why I'm just now asking it, what is the correct pronunciation for Pompey? Because I've heard, because you hear different characters say Pompey and other characters say Pompey. So which is technically the correct, because Jacob mentions Pompeian. So I was like, wait, what is the yeah, actual yeah. pronunciation of his name?
0: So BP, it's like, um I think part of it is just like different accents, pronunciations, American versus British. Like I always say Pompey some say Pompey perhaps his his real name is Pompeius but it's anglicized and his faction like if you're for it's like a a Trumpian or something like that it's uh it's like uh Pompey and Pompeians if if that makes sense or maybe I just befuddled that a ton I understand fair enough enough. I just I had to bring that up sure no clarification's good yeah
1: we jump slightly, to Caesar, our good friend, entering what appears to be a church. There are people chanting Jupiter, Optimus, Maximus, Jupiter, Optimus, Maximus. Essentially, Caesar is walking in here. He's uh, talking to uh, the heads of the church, I assume, uh, the the priests, one would imagine. He is essentially asking for them to uh, grant him the gods' favor, because it sure would look nice to the people if Caesar was favored by the gods. They don't seem totally keen on it right away, but we'll we'll learn more about that later. We jump to another street in Rome. We do get to see a, a brief view of some vandalism, uh, <laughs> reflective of the current population's thoughts on Caesar, um, perhaps reflecting how it might be difficult for him to buy their favor, because we do see, um, upon a wall, painted a, a male head, and inside the mouth of that male head is a penis, uh, reading above this depiction, uh, it reads uh, Caesar Tyrannus. I don't think it needs any explanation whatsoever.
0: What What did Banksy mean by this? Yeah, <laughs> Dang, that guy's been around a long time.
1: From here, we see a man. I believe his name is Pizan or Pisen. I think he's one of Caesar's servants.
0: Uh, I can actually I can clarify this, Jacob. This is another part. I'm I'm noticing a trend in the show where like characters will go several episodes not being named. So Caesar's slave, who we've seen before, Pasca. He uh, calls out uh, paison to uh, uh a slave named Castor. And I'm pretty sure Paizan is like an Italian word for like cousin or family. So I, I kind of wonder if Pasca and Castor, slaves of the Julii, are actual cousins. I'm not quite sure, but it's like a very friendly greeting. Mm, all
3: right. Well, I assume there was like that pizza that's like folded on itself. <laughs> that starts with yeah. a C. A pizon. <laughs> Yeah, you got it. It's the Pizza
1: Hut, Calzone. Anyway, uh, Paizan is delivering news of a party for Caesar uh, that is going to take place at uh, Atia's house. From there we jump to, oh wow, Atia's house. Who's there? Atia. Um, She is questioning the logic of this guest list, because there is one name that she's like, hey, I don't know if she should be here, and that she is Servilia, uh, because Atia is like, well, Brutus has defected to the Pompeians, he's not a Caesarian, so why would we invite Servilia, Brutus's mother? And <laughs> she wakes up a, a sleeping and naked Mark Antony and he's like, oh, he's grumpy. Um, and they they come to the, the simple conclusion, it would seem that it is to keep Brutus as a symbolic friend. Um, then,
0: uh, Jacob, uh, I the... wanted to cut in real quick. Uh, sure. go absolutely going back a scene when uh, Pasca is talking to Adia Slave Caster. Uh, Pasca relays the message that I think he says something along the lines that Adia is the true first lady of the city. Um And mm-hmm. like uh, Caesar's actual wife, Calpurnia, she's like a figurehead. But Addie is supposed to be like the one in the mud in the politics getting what Caesar once done mm-hmm. is the vibe I kind of got from that. So uh, she's like a dirty, dark political operative for Caesar.
1: That would be fair, because when we see Calpurnia later in the episode, I did not know who she was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it also
2: doesn't necessarily like not fully make sense for servilia to be at this party because i mean she does stay in rome intentionally because of her loyalty to caesar
1: yeah um so it does so i don't think it's really that far out there i think well we have to we have to consider there are other reasons atia is upset about this um there's kind of this back and forth parallel we'll get to later in the episode between these two
3: you also have to consider that uh atia isn't as smart as she thinks herself to be so she has trouble coming to these conclusions um yeah i said it she <laughs> <know how> to,
0: <laughs> no she, one was challenging you
2: <laughs> she uh i know it's a little later scene but man that woman cannot pick out a wig to save her life whoa, Anyways. Whoa, whoa.
1: that scene lasts like two seconds anyway I know. <laughs> um so we're still in odia's home um some testicles are cut off a pig um they are food for our friend octavian Atia wants Octavian to eat these because Atia declares that Octavian has developed a distinctly feminine anima lately and that eating these pig's testicles will, quote, oaken your penis. Octavian refuses. He doesn't want to eat the pig testicles. But eventually, uh, eventually (laughs) Atia forces him to. Atia leaves. Octavia has been slinking around this whole time, uh, oh, sister personal. to Octavian, of course. And she's still kind of upset about that whole uh, ex-husband dying <laughs> thing. So
3: she's really going to get over that. You know, that was a whole like three minutes ago. She
1: asks Octavian, do you think that our mother, Atia, killed Glavius? And and for once, Octavian is not the all-knowing, omniscient, uh, omnipotent presence he usually is because he, he reasons, oh, probably not. Octavia, as far as I can tell, didn't kill Clavius.
3: Uh I actually, I have a counterpoint there. Oh, okay. I think he did put together that she did it, but he, uh, Octavian's a smart guy, and following him saying, oh, I don't know if she did it, Octavia says, like, oh, she did, I swear I'll cut our mother's throat. I think Octavian kind of might have picked up that's where she was going. He's like, that seems like a bad thing to happen at this juncture, like, that, in this that's part funny. of the story, so I'm going to downplay that
0: i was also kind of uncertain with what octavian knew and didn't know because like he says he is as reasonably sure as he could be but when octavia like invokes the name of jupiter the chief god he hesitates a little bit about how sure he actually is so i yeah like how much and last uh, episode
1: he was like very skeptical in a way that really made it seem like he knew
0: yeah yeah Mm
2: -hmm. i am also kind i mean From what I'm gathering from the scenes with Caesar at the church and this scene, it seems like when you're saying you're swearing to Jupiter, that is kind of a pretty big deal in this time period, praying to Jupiter or swearing to Jupiter. So I feel like Octavian might know his uh, scheme, is might eventually bite him, because if based on how their beliefs are, the gods will punish them for something, so
0: i yeah. uh, i wanted to check in as well guys for this scene um this is my first example of rome season one episode four being uh sort of an episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia like did we did we all like pick up on the implication that addia says uh, uh so uh, like um when uh addia says that octavian's been acting like a sissy in so many words yeah. and he needs to eat these testicles to become a real man Adia like recalls her father she's like uh, oh that yeah yeah she's
3: yeah. like you're not like mm. well
0: she says she says uh when you were my father's age there wasn't a slate there wasn't a slave girl in our household that was safe and she says that like it's a really good thing like uh Dennis in the boat uh but <laughs> oh, uh, yeah it's the implication yeah. the implication of danger it's 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 not great but uh yeah uh Jake, if you want to proceed <laughs> here
1: yeah, um Adia is still or sorry, not Atia. Octavia is still a little suspicious. As we discussed, she said she would open her mother's throat if it, she did find out it was her. Uh we're gonna jump back out to the streets of Rome. Uh now our, our friend Verenus, uh and Iobi's daughter has grabbed something from a shrine of sorts. Um, I can't at this point juncture tell you what that shrine is or (laughs) its importance, or even what she grabbed. Uh, But she's running across uh, Rome, the city, and we see how desolate it is now under the martial law and the new rules. The only people out and about are soldiers who are running and marching, whom of which Varinus and Neobi's daughter are hiding from. Varinus is planning a feast because of course he is retired from the life of a soldier and he is starting a business and from what i can infer it is ritual to when you start a business you hold a feast it is for good luck i would assume good inference it is unfortunate timing, though, isn't it? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not really allowed to have large gatherings, and there's not a lot of people in Rome right now. The woman he is even speaking to is like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I remember living through Sola's civil war, ah. and there was so much blood in the city you could paint the buildings with it. Verinus is like, oh Caesar, he hasn't killed anyone. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and Apologist. they, yes, Verinus and Niobe, have a small little prayer um, at this little small little uh, uh, statue.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I it was like a, a bust or a shrine to the god yeah. Janus, like hoping the feast okay. would go well.
1: Yeah, I figured it was some kind of god specific to this purpose. So okay,
2: you can also just see in her eyes, like Niobe's eyes. She's actually she's praying secretly in her head. Like I pray my husband doesn't find out. I hope he doesn't find out.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah they uh, after their prayer uh, immediately varinus is informed by a small statured man that mark antony <laughs> requests his presence what's so funny
3: about that
0: <laughs> i mean mark antony makes it funny a, a scene later oh yes yes he does
3: i just want to make a a joke that I, I thought of like while the this scene was happening when a he dismisses the, the guy and he's like, "Yeah, like you can leave Cato." I was like, "Wow, Cato looks a lot different than he did in that last scene I saw him in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway, we cut to Mark Anthony because uh, he wants Venusus's uh, presence. He is completely nude. Um, I, he's like being massaged or bathed or something. Yeah, I thought it was
3: like he being he's, shaved or something.
2: I thought it was like it looked like he was getting like fitted for clothing. Or something like that. Yeah, Maybe. I rewatched it a few times,
0: BP's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, it, it really isn't all that viable to the scene, but it's just is notable. He's like kind <laughs> of making He's kind of making small talk with Verenus, but in kind of a backhanded way. He's asking about civilian life. But then he's all Anthony's also insinuating that Verenus is a deserter and Verenus like fires back. He's like, well, on the contrary, it's the only right thing I could do, because by crossing the Rubicon as a soldier, I was uh, treasonous and uh, it was an illegal act. So deserting is what I should have done. And Anthony's like, you're too stuck. To your, your ways, Verenus, you're a fool. The Republic that which you, you fight for is all, is long dead. And Caesar's just trying to fix things, man. Yeah, yeah. And and we need your help actually to fix things. You should rejoin the 13th Legion. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, if you rejoin the 13th Legion, we will uh, induct you into something called the Evercarty. I think is
0: what I heard. Uh, I think, well, I wasn't sh- I don't know what this is. Like, Antony does mention something like that. And it's like, but what I did recognize, is like, you'll be made a prefect, which is like a rank in the yes, military. Yes, that as well. So I I imagine it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like a list of nobility that, you know, he climbed with yeah. the social ladder. But yeah, good point, Jacob. Uh,
1: in addition, uh, 10,000 sister psi, So quite a notable promotion and payment uh but of course we know Verena, as he's very set in his ways he does not budge and antony gives him a vague threat as he leaves how much do you think that
2: uh offer he makes would be in today's money in american dollars
3: how much would it be in uh in denarii I, i'm still kind of lost on the currency yeah no
0: i don't quite i think denarii is worth more than sesterci which is what like ten thousand 000 sesterci is what's offered up but yeah it's you know uh uh, ancient and infl- fast uh, um Yeah. Let's see. Speaking of hard guys, any other thoughts about this scene? <laughs> I might cut that. As <laughs> <It's> a, it's <laughs> a, a, a I'm, I'm, wow, how <laughs> my
3: boy Verinus for sticking to his guns. I guess. Oh yeah.
0: Well, I I really liked anthony's line. Like when he declined, he's like, "You grieve me, Verinus. You grieve me deeply." But uh yeah, what would you say, BP?
2: Even though I completely understand Verinus's perspective of not accepting Anthony's offer. I will say Anthony's offer is actually not a bad one in terms of negotiation, oh, totally. but I also, you also can just tell that this is very much like the final straw for Anthony with Varinus because he says the next, next time we see each other, I may not treat you so lightly or something like no, that. No BP,
0: you're totally right. Because like he tells Varinus the path you are on, you will fail at it's a bad path so come to our path and you will be even further rewarded with the, with becoming prefect and uh, the signing bonus and everything. But nonetheless, Verena's a man of principles declines. Again, he's like really torn because he tells um, the lady he negotiates with earlier who recalls Sola's civil war, like Verena says, Caesar hasn't killed anybody. You know, it's all going to be okay. But nonetheless, he's refusing to join the Legion. I'll finally stop talking guys after I share a short a short teleplay that I wrote, uh, bear with me here and uh, maybe (laughs) close your eyes to set the scene for yourself. Interior, offices, afternoon, the year is 2004, protagonist, Bruno Heller, stands at the end of a table. Sitting around the table are a group of businessmen, HBO producers. The room is decorated with posters of Band of Brothers, The Wire, and The Sopranos. Several Emmy Awards reside in a glass trophy case. Heller has just finished his pitch for Rome. The HBO producers and head of programming look at him skeptically, but Heller has a confident glint in his eye. Head of programming. Now, Bruno. We already have shows that are historical behemoths, that are complex and political, as well as intrapersonal. All of which have copious female nudity. What's to set your vision apart from the rest of HBO's lineup? Heller. Now, here's a twist. And there is a twist. We show it. We show all of it. Because what's the one major thing missing from all TV dramas these days, guys? Male nudity. Guys, we're gonna show James Purefoy's penis. And we're gonna show a lot of it. Cut to HBO Rome introduction credits and scene. Uh, so sorry,
3: I believe that's how it went down. That now. was
0: the second scene. There reminded me of It's Always Sunny. That <laughs> sounds like a screen ramp pitch meeting.
1: And that was Tony deserving.
2: <laughs> Coming from the Emmy, Emmy nominated Jacob.
1: Uh, yes, <gasps> yes, actually. Let's uh, let's move on, shall we? Um, we kind of have a couple of small scenes here that we'll jump through quickly. We are in Niobe's home, uh, Niobe and Verenice's home, I suppose. Uh, more Niobe's than Verenus, in my opinion. Uh, no longer, yeah. There's a shaman woman of sorts. She is reading fortune out of meat. Um, I don't know <laughs> what the meat is. I I cannot understand what this is.
2: I'm presuming just based off of previous sequences in this episode, I'm presuming that it is some form of testicles.
1: I also thought that for some reason.
0: Oh, I was thinking liver. I was
3: thinking it was just like, yeah, I was thinking it was like liver, like chicken guts or something. Because I know they, I don't know, they did stuff like that.
0: Yeah, intestines. Intestines was a big one, but they didn't look like intestines.
1: Uh, Either way, she's digging her fingers around and she's actually got a pretty good read on Niobe's life because she assures Niobe that her secret is safe and has not been discovered. And she asked Iowee to tell her what the secret is so she can be more precise. And know it like, it involves a child. Oh, I, I'm not going to tell you anything more. Um, Her, her secret, of course, being uh, her bastard son. Um, <laughs> She also foretells, now this is interesting. Uh, the shaman foretells that her husband shall be rich. And this is coming in the wake of the last scene where we learned that he could earn 10,000 uh, if he <laughs> accepts going back to the legion. And the shaman's right about one thing. Is she right about two things? We'll see. Back to realm. Caesar is in the streets dictating to his servant uh money that's going places. Who's getting what? His assistant's kind of like, hey, Caesar, we're going to run out of money soon. You can't just be throwing this stuff around. We got to kill someone <laughs> so we can earn some wealth. And Caesar's like, no, no, no we don't kill him um cornelia appears um takes caesar's hand and then we jump back to our friend verinus
0: there was a short scene as well with addia preparing for her party and servilia does as well and servilia oh no we're I, not there yet we're not there yet what oh i oh i had it in the middle here that servilia just seemed kind of insecure about how much she's aged since the last she saw caesar no no, no. that's after this it is oh, okay. i do have one thing that i don't know if anyone else kind of
2: noticed or felt anything about this
1: but oh no it's not i totally jumped it oh we'll go back yes sorry go ahead (laughs) but
2: is it just me or does kieran hines who plays caesar as caesar look a lot younger in this episode than he did in
0: like the previous three episodes i swear he looks younger Uh, i don't know I i don't i didn't get that vibe bp but this is definitely the most screen time he's had so
3: and also he's he's been like out of war for eight years and now he's back in Rome so maybe he's got time to gussy himself up a little yeah. bit.
0: Yeah, he can get back on his skincare routine.
3: Caesar's <laughs> like, do you know Sephora had a men's section? <laughs> <laughs> That's truly
1: what he went into that church for. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take a step back. Um, we do have the scene where uh, we have both Atia and Servilia preparing for the party in their homes. Very briefly, Atia is eyeing potential wigs to adorn herself with. And we see Servilia having makeup applied to her face. Um, she kind of laments the fact that it's been eight years since she's seen Caesar. Has she grown old? Does she look ugly, perhaps, to be determined? <laughs> uh, then, then we jump to the streets of Rome, um, Caesar dictating the amount of money. And then it's it's interesting that we uh, get to see Cornelia because this establishes this, this kind of fun parallel throughout the episode between mostly the two women in Atia and uh Servilia, but you know, uh or did I say Cornelia, I think I meant to say Calpurnia, Calpurnia being Caesar's wife. She is certainly involved in this as well because she is Caesar's wife, but really not so much. Atia and Servilia are are kind of parallelly trying to vie for Caesar's attention here yeah. in this episode and affection. So
0: he's got a triumvirate yeah. of women, binders women. Yes.
1: <laughs> Shout out Mitt Romney. Um <laughs> anyway we're back we're gonna jump back to Verenus's party um he's worried that no one's gonna to come to his feast nobody's like don't worry people are gonna to come to your feast and sure enough a friend of Verenus's arrives and so does niobe's ever-loving sister and uh brother-in-law uh being of course her sister's husband who is one uh evander Polcio
0: is his name indeed yes. indeed
1: and if we recall, is the father of Niobe's uh, bastard son.
0: That blew so, my mind. I completely forgot about that plot point. Yeah,
1: I I, I just kind of like that happened. I was like, did we know this? Or is like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it feels gotta, like
0: it had been established before this.
1: I got
3: I got something to say about that that made me uh, go more back to disliking Niobe. Because, you know, I could forgive the whole uh, G- Uh, strayed from Varinus because you know she thought he was dead so I get that uh was still not happy that she just like foisted the lie off on her daughter but then to find out it's her little sister's husband yeah so like she like she knowingly went there it's like man Niobe you're you've made some choices
2: I definitely it definitely took me a second to remember exactly who he was because I was like I noticed a couple times in later scenes like a couple looks between the two characters and I was like wait
0: oh my god
2: it's that's him <laughs>
1: sure is
0: uh something i wanted to point out here is uh the use of colors at the parties like the wealthiest guests and people there are dressed very colorfully very drippy like a lot of jewelry like everyone at adia's party coming up is like very colorful Mm -hmm. but at veritas's party like he and his family are dressed up real nice his guest of honor is dressed up really nice. But then actual, like, Lighty and Evander Polkio, Niobe's sister brother-in-law, they're actually not dressed up that well, which maybe tells you something about their class. Uh, BP, this is for you. Uh, At the start of that scene, Varinus with the headdress and all the colors, he's dressed like Florence Pugh from Midsommar. I I just thought of you there. Yeah, I I I got (laughs) that vibe as well.
1: (laughs) Excellent, excellent.
0: Uh, We are back
1: to... uh, We're now actually at Atia's party. Um, Atia is there. Servilia is there. They exchange pleasantries. Pleasantries. Quote, yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's kind of tense. Atia is being quite antagonistic as she always is. Um And then our good friend Julius Caesar uh, <laughs> arrives at the party. The party. Uh, there's a sizable amount of troops. There's a very grand entrance. There's banging at the door. Um, He enters and his niece and nephew Octavia and Octavian bow. Everyone bows. But Caesar's like always playing the political games. Like, hey, you don't need to lower your head to me. Everyone raise your heads. Um, and Caesar engages with Servilia a little bit they talk about Brutus Servilia insists that Brutus is ever Caesar's friend and and Caesar says knowingly that he understands completely Hmm. double agent Brutus maybe <laughs> oh I don't know
0: <laughs> oh oh my god that'd be that'd be oh I like that Um, yeah. I wanted to point out with that scene Jacob like uh like when Caesar surveys the room like he says everyone lift your heads and he kind of like scoots around and then like seemingly on a whim he turns to servilia and chats her up a little bit but i'm thinking that was calculated it wasn't just like it was a whim yeah absolutely undoubtedly
1: undoubtedly
3: everything's a part of a plan with caesar okay and
1: now we jump to uh something that seems vaguely outside well not vaguely outside it's definitely (laughs) outside but i don't know where it is outside a band of horses is riding. We find ourselves at a gate wherein a stranger is begging for entrance. I wasn't totally sure what was happening here. Upon reflection, the stranger might have been Quintus yes. uh,
3: Pompey. Yeah. I'm in the exact same boat, Jacob. I didn't know what like relevance this scene had until later. And I was like, oh, that's... That exactly. Pompey. And so... Oh.
0: And, and I think they're they're it into Rome, right? Like, that also took me a to process. I but like, think so. Yeah, geographically, so. logically, it's... Yeah. yeah, because
1: Quintus is searching for the gold, as we'll find out. Mm-hmm. um we go boom fast Verenice's feast we're here Verenice's friend who showed up assures him uh you can always come to me for help really doesn't matter that's not the main point because what is happening is there is a baby crying and Niobe's sister seems a little uncomfortable to hear that baby cry because uh, she knows that it is the son of uh, her husband and her sister which is awkward
2: mm-hmm. she's also I I kind of wonder if she has that look on her face of I really hope that this is the moment barinas finds out. Cause like an example was at the end of that episode of episode two when we found out uh Naomi was the mother, like the baby was crying a lot, and that signified that she needed that the baby needed uh breastfeeding.
3: Mm-hmm. And I was wondering oh, if oh, that yeah. was kind of mm-hmm. like if that
2: if that was kind of her sister's cue to look at her being like, Oh, I hope this is the moment that. He finds out
3: because I actually thought that was gonna like factor in, but it ended up not.
2: It didn't. That's why I was so, I was like, oh, this would have, but I guess they're saving the reveal for a later time.
1: We do this uh, fun back and forth where we jump from party to party. So yeah. we leave Verena's feast momentarily to go to Atia's party. Um, Caesar and Antony are ever playing the political game. There, an old man is questioning them about religion. Um, I this man might be have been a part of that church. I yeah, no. Okay. So
0: Jacob, he's credited as the chief auger on IMDb, and so okay. yeah, he's the head of uh the the cult, the Church of Jupiter. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. And uh, so he's uh, you know, just trying to feel out. Um, Caesar and Antony, and to see if their cause is just. I suppose we move over to Atia. She is <laughs> uh, commanding Octavian to say something witty. Um, <laughs> uh, when he declines, uh, she tells Octavia to recite poetry, where Octavia regales us with just the most depressing beat, uh, bit of prose you've ever heard. Octavia or Atia is trying to impress people so she can impress Caesar, and it's not working. Back to the feast. Guess what? Niobe was right. People did come. The feast is a smashing, smashing success. There's Woo! plenty of people. They're dancing. They're having fun. However, Niobe is a little uncomfortable
3: because uh, is having a lot of fun. Yeah. Niobe asks her
1: uh, brother-in-law, uh, also baby daddy, Evander Polkio, to tell her sister to leave, um, to or force her to leave. Um, but Niobe's sister, what's her name? Sorry, remind me. Stop. Lighty. Um, Lighty does not want to leave. She's having a good time. And so Lighty and Evander, you get to a small tiff. Lighty might yell, I love you. Why don't you love me? Lighty starts escalating things. She is yelling, basically insinuating that Varinus is a blind fool because uh, obviously he doesn't know who the babies is actually, Uh, but it's a party, you know, it's loud. uh, There's a lot of dancing. Venus doesn't hear this, but he does see the commotion. Yeah. Um, Lighty and Evander, they, they start tussling a little more. And in the struggle, our small little sculpture of, uh, it was Janus, Janus. Janus. Yeah. Yeah. Janus uh, is knocked over. (laughs) It is broken, which cannot be a good omen.
0: Indeed, indeed. Um, Jacob, I want to note really quick, in between Niobe talking to Lydie, her friend Clarissa from the last episode, I think, like is the first one to go to Evander and Mm -hmm. says, get her out of here. So just a little evidence of Clarissa being a a confidant to Niobe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: From party to party continues. We're back to Atia's party. The politics game never stops with Caesar and Anthony. Um, He is he's really talking up this old auger dude um he asked his servant what his wife's name is uh i it is really inconsequential i don't remember what it actually was <laughs> that
2: that gave me very much uh v vibe vibes when uh selena meyer has to go to oh what's tony hale's character's name gary i think that's his name anyways oh yeah yeah Gary, when he, when she's meeting up with all the people she has to know in US politics, and he's like spitting all the information into her ear just so she doesn't forget who's who mm-hmm. and like knows who's like married to who and things like that. That's where I got that vibe from.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, Caesar's like, oh, well, I'm sorry I missed your wife's birthday. We'll have to give her a gift. Will this amount of money suffice? Uh they're obviously trying to bribe man, and uh, I, I thought this was quite yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that was that was sarcastic, but it was very well delivered. Uh, but the old man, he's he's played this game. He immediately knows and he's he's about it. Um he says, you know, my wife is a woman of very exquisite taste. It might take a little bit more than that. I mean, she eats oysters every day for breakfast. And Mark Anthony delivers this great line, always doing the Mark Anthony thing, always a little cocky, always a little mean, um, always a little aggressive. Uh, he says Got the she should be him. arf arf. <laughs> she should be most careful. People often choke on oysters, but they do eventually come to an agreement of like I think it's like something like two hundred thousand. Says
3: I believe that is exactly correct.
1: Yeah. Back to Verenus' feast. Things have soured quickly. There is no more party after the statue has been toppled. Um, there is no one there. The event is a failure uh Verenus is mad he says Niobe's sister and husband can ne- are not to be seen back there ever again and then our group of horsemen ride up um led by the brutal quintus pompey and they want to know where the gold is problem with that is Verenus actually really does not know um and no clue what they're talking about yeah <laughs> yeah
2: he uh yeah it's yeah and it's kind of weird because in some in a lot of other scenarios in movies and tv the protagonist actually usually does know what's going on but Not this here. is a nice uh uh
1: how the turn tables. Mm-hmm. um but they really think he does so they threaten him at sword point they threaten to cut up his wife niobe um but in the middle of this there is a marching down the street we see um a carriage of sorts. I can't remember the name of it. A palanquin, A litter, I think, is what it's called. A litter. Anyway, it being hoisted by servants. It is a rich blue colors, Blue being an expensive color to make in these times. Um, yeah, there is a man upon it who is lowered and tosses <laughs> coins to his servants willy-nilly. And it is none other than one Titus Polo. The holy pot, convenience is Batman. <laughs> How convenient for this is the man who knows where the gold is because he has used it to acquire his own wealth because he is well dressed. Okay. He walks up. He kind of assesses that things are a little off immediately. He asks who um, uh, Quintus is, Into which, you know, they establish. Um, Verena says, yeah, they're searching for the gold. And uh, to watch, Polo pretty much uh, responds by throwing a bunch of coin in the air, and they all start fighting immediately. (laughs) (laughs)
3: It's like out of a video game.
2: Polo would, if if this was a game of Texas Hold'em poker, he would have a terrible poker face, because
1: he's just giving it away very quickly. Gosh,
3: yeah. I prefer Texas Hold'em blackjack.
1: (laughs) So... We flash forward to the end of the fight. We're now in Verina's house. Of course, Polo and Verina win. They uh, they are have been at war for many years. They're used to fighting, and also Polo kills anything he touches, as we establish. <laughs> um, Verina is not exactly pleased because he finds out that Polo stole a bunch of gold. But Polo's like, I didn't know it was Rome's gold. I mean, which, which is true. Of...
0: Which is true. It's just true. Yeah.
1: Also, they have hogtied and taken captive uh, Quintus Pompey. Virenus establishes or he states or demands that Polo must give the gold back because you've A, stolen it from Rome, and B, you are now residing in my house, and C, people will find out you stole this money from Rome, and D, they will find out that I harbored someone who stole money from Rome in my house.
0: Niobe almost got killed.
1: Yeah.
3: Polo is, to put it lightly, not the most subtle man on the planet. No. Like, he got all this money and immediately spends it and was, like, throwing it on the streets.
0: Jacob, what you were saying about um, Verena's demanding Polo returns the gold, he actually... I think maybe like command could be the most accurate word because there's a certain tone in his voice, and then like all of a sudden Polo shapes up and does the Roman salute again. So it's Actually, like as much as Verinus is trying to get away from the soldier's life, whether Polo's making fun of him or like responds to it on a, a Pavlovian level, he does the salute yeah. back to his commander. It it felt
1: it, like it came out of respect to me because they also had oh, yeah? that mm-hmm. that um, interaction. Where, where Paul, he, he does relent. He's like, okay, I, I will return it or, you know, I'll own up to my crimes. But will you come with me, friend? Will you come <laughs> with me? Please, please come with me. And Verena's like, this is your mess. No, I'm not going with you. And Polo's like kind of dejected. He's like, dejectedly. It's like, okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> Goodbye.
2: This does answer Kay's question for Cole and myself last week, asking if, if we thought Verena and Polo would see each other again. But it didn't really take that much longer to get them back on screen together mm-hmm.
1: so we go to atia's party caesar and antony are um, informed of something they to step out for a moment and it, it is polo outside with quintus pompey Um, He gives the whole spiel about the gold and he mentions that uh, I have Quintus Pompey. He was here after the gold, to which this tidbit of information is quite titillating to Caesar because um, Caesar knew that there was no gold in the treasury. So he assumed Pompey had it. But to find out Pompey doesn't have it means that uh, a lot of things. Pompey is goldless and starving, presumably, um, and that the gold is somewhere out there and uh, where it is polo knows exactly because he buried it in the woods and uh so caesar looks up to the sky and and, uh, thanks god for for the fortune he will not have to kill any wealthy men for his money to buy the people uh he just has to go dig it up
0: (laughs) i i want to note here really quick antony gives his standard greeting to dudes he doesn't like quintus me old cock
3: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't notice that
1: uh charm out the wazoo that anthony let's see uh we do briefly go back inside we get a, a view of what happens my interpretation of it, it is it's quite an intimate event there are these sensual drums and harps being played people are kissing longing stares are exchanged there's a a somewhat erotic dance
0: yeah happening. not only.
1: Yeah, and, and to be fair, all ball. drums
0: and harps are erotic. But oh,
1: of course, um, True. Octavian is seen leaving this um, and going outside. We are back outside now. The uh, unbound, or they unbind Quintus and Caesar's like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna give you guys an option for a truce. You go tell, you go tell Pompey about this truce. And everyone's kind of like taken aback. Like Antony's like, you have what? You have the power. You have the position. And Quintus is like, we're never
3: gonna truce with you and uh, octavian who's back up to his old tricks of just creeping around like a weirdo in the background like sticks his head out of a barrel and is like what that's weird <laughs> yep he's, he's dropping this whole time
2: that, but as
1: you know but that this
2: scene also does show that octavian picks up the political game very very quickly because he's like oh i know what caesar's end game with
0: all of this is so i i
3: no, he doesn't. He specifically like tells Caesar later, like I didn't like wow, that seemed like a bad call.
0: Well, he he you know he does say okay, that, but together he, in that scene. Yeah, yeah. He you know it all comes together in a sec. Yeah. Caesar's
3: like, no, no, it it was a good idea. And then uh then he's like, okay, so okay, he didn't pick it up there. He picked it up a little after. Okay, my bad. Yeah.
1: Um, this this party scene goes on for a while. A lot of cool stuff happening here. Um, so yes, they they are quibbling about the truce. Quintus is like obviously we're not going to do that Um, and Caesar's like fine all the blood that's going to be spilled is on your hands I haven't killed anyone and I just gave you an option for truce so when this comes to battle blood's on you man 40 chess yeah Um, we go back inside Atia is uh, annoying (laughs) Servilia, kind of goading her on in a a weird way. Um, She's like asking about how Caesar's, uh, or talking about how Caesar's like interested in her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I honestly, I can't tell if she's being sincere or not, because like we have established that Caesar and Servilia have a past. But also Caesar has not really shown her a lot of attention, nor has Caesar shown Atia any intention and Adia is calling Servilia like beautiful and all this I I really don't know if she's doing it to play a game or just like being sincere
0: well I I kind of took it Jacob it's like Adia it's kind of giving back kind of compliments but she's also trying to figure out Servilia's game because like she's She's commenting that Servilia looks beautiful. I think she says like she doesn't look at all like a goat, you know, like most women her age. She's like oh, like most yes. women
3: her age look remarkably like goatish or something like okay, that. Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: But um but uh uh let's see. Servilia says that states that she doesn't have any feelings for caesar so i like i it's mind games and trying to tease out information on adia's end and i don't really think she succeeds or feels better by the end of the conversation
1: servilia is not having it like she's not even looking into this at all she's taking it at surface value and she's just kind of sad and dejected because Mm -hmm. yeah she doesn't have caesar's attention and she's like oh no there's nothing there Blah, blah, blah. And Atia even involves Calpurnia, Caesar's yeah. current wife. Uh, who Calpurnia is,
3: shuts it down, and is, I, was, I was so about it.
1: She's very wise to the situation, and it's just basically like, I'm, I'm not playing these games.
3: She's like, um, basically like, Atia, shut up.
1: Uh, we go back outside. Caesar's like, okay, pull out Anthony. He'll get the gold, blah, blah, blah. Before that, he's like, hey, Anthony, by the way, don't ever question my authority in the presence of the enemy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm the big dog. Arf, arf.
2: <laughs> I also liked that whole thing where he's just like, I I'm sure you'll remember that because I know what your memory is like or mm-hmm. something like that.
1: So yeah, they go off to go get the gold. They're even like, Hey Polo, you can have some of this Caesar finds Octavian outside. They start talking Octavian too questions it, but you know, Caesar starts revealing his whole idea, his whole plan. And then Caesar is rendered still. And his servant appears out of nowhere and grabs him by the arm, and he's like Octavian's like, we must take him someplace where no one will see him. And they're like, oh, what is what is happening? Is he's are sick? And so they take him like downstairs into this cupboard, and uh, he starts seizing. He starts having a seizure, a violent, violent seizure. A
3: Caesar um,
1: seizure. <laughs> a caesarian seizure. Uh, <laughs> This this is a cool scene where we jump very fast and very dramatically between Caesar writhing and yelling to the drums and the hubbub and the dancing of upstairs, and so we see Caesar yelling and we see the dancing and people moving and people Octavia sleeping.
0: Yeah, um, I think she faints or like that's maybe, how I do yeah it. It, it was quite dramatic.
3: I, I took it like a, she fainted or passed. Like it, something about it was weird.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, I was.
2: They're all that editing. I'll talk. Actually, I'll talk a little bit more more about that later. I I
1: think I I'm going to I'm going to preempt what (laughs) say later say. I really liked it anyway. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, Eventually, Caesar comes to he stops seizing um, the his servants like uh, he is cursed. We must not let anyone know of his affliction. Caesar tells Octavian, you cannot tell anyone of this. Um, and the, the choreographed sensual dancing comes to an end as well. Okay, so Caesar returns. He finds Calpurnia. Calpurnia's like, "Yo, you look bad. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <And> he's <laughs> like, nah, no,
1: I'm fine. He's just like, I'm fine enough. But Calpurnia's like, let's let's go home." And they leave much to Atia's dismay. And we're now in kind of the, the closing throws of the episode, we have a bunch of small scenes. So we're leaving the party. We're outside. Uh, Caesar is walking home with Calpurnia. But he's like, hey, actually, sorry, I can't go home right now. I got some political stuff I got to take care of, you know, Pompey's going to decline this truth. I got a truce. I got to make sure the city's ready. And Calponia's like, business at this hour. I can't believe this, blah, blah, blah. But whatever. He sees her. It happens. We jump to the forest. Polo and Antti retrieve the gold. That's about it. We jump to Servilia's home. Servilia is pacing anxiously for some reason. We jump to Attia's home. <laughs> Attia is crying, presumably over the fate of the party. She didn't win over Caesar's affection. Octavian comforts her. Wow. Uh, Freudian. Uh, we jump back to <laughs> we jump back to servilia's home the reason her pacing is revealed she sits at the foot of the bed a male figure comes into frame it is a man and his name rhymes with Schmulius geezer <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: right mark Antony. he got there fast <laughs> yeah.
1: it's julius caesar he is not preparing the city for the the Pompeian uh, r- d- not invasion,
0: but, but he might invade something else. Yeah. Yes. Uh,
1: for <laughs> it is time to rekindle a romance um, in the parallel battle between Calpurnia, between Octia, between Servilia. Servilia is our winner of Caesar's affection. A real underdog. Back to Pompeian camp after they presumably uh, engage in acts. They po- the Pompeians receive word of the truce. Um, Everyone kind of agrees. It's ludicrous. Except, well, maybe give it a second. Cicero was like, hey, these terms are kind of reasonable. And Brutus is like, yeah, Caesar hasn't killed anyone yet. This is kind of fair. And Cato's like, no, no, no. They're just trying to drive a wedge between us. And Pompey storms off saying, oh, yeah, Quintus was right about all you. you all acting like women. And so maybe they did success
0: successfully drive a wedge between them because
3: – They acknowledge in the scene that that's what he's doing and yeah. it still works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to throw out really quick that uh, Cicero argues that Caesar – not asking for much. Caesar wants legal immunity because they wanted to prosecute mm-hmm. him. And he Caesar says if he and Pompey both lay down their armies and commands, he will be satisfied. I don't remember if that's going to come up and be important later, but I thought it would be good to know. We'll um
1: boom we're done at the pompeian camp we're at our penultimate scene we're at the verinus household niobe is there oh i skipped one of the anxious things there was a very quick scene where uh niobe and verinus were sleeping but verinus was sleeping niobe's wide awake obviously worrying there was a lot of anxiety there in those very fast scenes anyway now we're back at the verinus household uh niobe is talking to baby daddy evander poltrio i think this is when we finally hear his name for the first time i'm not sure oh possibly yeah uh, but she's like, yeah, I do love Varinus. I don't love you. I actually love Varinus. He's my husband. And I uh, guess who shows up? Our good friend Tolo. Tolo is here unexpectedly. And uh, it's not explicitly like established that he heard but he kind of develops a smirk, a knowing smirk.
0: And they were holding mm-hmm. hands like when Polo
1: walks in, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so he almost assuredly kind of understands the whole dynamic now, or at least that has an inkling of what's going on.
2: He also, I think he more so realizes not just like, I think, yeah, he just more so realizes, oh, that ain't his grandchild. That's the baby daddy right there. Yes. Yes.
1: Final scene. Final scene. Everything is coming up Caesar because the bribes work. (laughs) Caesar is being honored by the church. A large crowd gathers outside. Although I thought that was illegal due to Caesar's laws. Whatever. We'll ignore
3: it. It was all women.
1: Uh, Yeah. (laughs)
2: I mean, he's asking for legal immunity. So, I mean, he's probably thinking, oh, I'm above the law on this.
1: Well, no, Caesar's certainly well, no, above the, the other law, people aren't. But he established the curfew and the large gathering stuff outside. Uh, I mean, he probably drew exception because, like, I need people to come watch me be favored by the gods. And, yeah, a lady walks out. Pigeons fly by a window. She holds up her hand. And that is the sign that Caesar has been blessed by the gods. They rejoice. And triumph. these triumphant drums come in. Big old music, and I, I don't know if I'm making this up in my head or it actually happened, we see a smirk on Caesar's face for everything has gone his way. He has earned the favor of the people, he has regained the treasury of Rome, he has his pick of women, and he has chosen the one which he wants in being Servilia, and uh, he he has just won. He has won this episode, and that yeah. is where we close.
3: I just want to say real quick that uh, I get why like a lot of people like in the show like kind of view see C- easier as some, kind of like a deistic figure because like everything just works out for that guy exactly the way he wants it to. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um Jacob, thank you so much for leading us through this. This one might have been maybe a little harder than the average episode just cuz there was a lot of it cross-cutting and everything, jam-hatched. so yeah. All right guys, so let me not screw up this order here. Real quick, let's share how we thought about the episode just real quick little tidbit um i'll go first here this is probably my favorite episode so far just because we get a lot of little developments development in the octavian caesar relationship and the caesar Antony relationship and the niobe baby daddy drama and develop adia's insecurity there's like just a lot of like, and and more there's just like a lot of cool advancements happening in my opinion i really enjoyed this episode
1: yeah i would agree um there was just a lot of intricacies and a lot of things that you could like, I don't know, draw theme parallels to and just examine. There's a lot happening. There was a lot to like. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh,
3: I also think it was one of my favorites. I, if not my favorite, I feel like we're we're starting to get into the the deep waters of the show. Like we're now that we're like, we're we're done with like the the huge introductions and like mm. figuring out how everything works. Like now it's like, all right, we understand it let's go
2: good well said cole yeah i i would still say episode two is still probably my favorite in terms of the episodes so far but i do think this is a little bit more of like a chessboard game Mm -hmm. episode once again but here's the thing it's much like last week and this week what makes it you can do chessboard style episodes but if as long as you're making them interesting that's what Matters more so than like what type of episode actually is. That's what it really is. And that's yeah. what this episode is. It's interesting because you're seeing all the maneuvering really begin to
0: take place. Hot take from BP. TV should be interesting. (laughs) No, BP, I totally agree just because um, I also would consider this a chessboard episode. Like not that much changes, just little moves, but I felt like maybe all the political maneuvering was a degree hotter and maybe a little more perilous or important than last week possibly. But yeah, yeah, solid episode overall. Okay. And again, Jacob has never
2: seen TV. That's
1: true it's true
0: (laughs) uh all right so bp and cole there was a couple of more minor characters who i wanted to be introduced here with three words each now they are more minor this doesn't have to be an essay you know keeping it to three words and stuff so cole i'll have you go first could you give me three words about lydie niobe's little sister
3: uh obnoxious sad and problematic oh my god (laughs) not a fan of Lydie. any
0: any elucidation or or we're just gonna leave it at that
3: (laughs) Uh, obnoxious and problematic stem from kind of the, the same thing where like she's super drunk at the party and it's kind of like she, like she's very clearly like trying to like make something happen with the guy she's dancing with and then she's being all fighty with Evander Polkio and then uh, is threatening to like rat everything out to Varinus despite her swearing she wasn't going to and then sad just because she's very clearly in love with her husband and is upset that he does not feel the same way
0: all right. All right. Uh, let's see. BP, speaking of Lydie's husband, could you give me three words on Evander Polkio? Shady, dastardly, and unfaithful. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Do you want to explain any further or just let those words uh, speak for themselves?
2: I think they should just speak for themselves. We've I We've known this character for a few episodes already, but we kind of get to know him a little bit more. And he's just, he's not a good person. Yeah. He's just
0: not. Okay. Okay. Cole, back to you. Three words for Quintus Pompeius.
3: Uh, I have aggressive, brutish, and hardliner.
0: Ooh. ooh okay. Because he's
3: a, he's big on torture. Uh. And he's like, like yeah, and just like is very like violent and brutish with the violence. I was like, he doesn't strike me as a uh, inheriting Pompey's brains. Although maybe we'll see more of him in the future. That'll expand on that and then Although
1: might argue that pompey doesn't have any brains to begin with
0: oh ho, ho.
3: got him and then a uh, hardliner just because the the scene where he's like threatening to kill niobe uh he refuses to consider for even a moment that varinus might actually have no idea what he's talking about and refuses to explain what the gold is so just like if you just explained it varinus might have been able to like find a way to like talk himself out of that situation
0: or just put two and two together and it's like oh you gotta find titus polo yeah if he sold him out all right cole are you finished up there i am Okay. BP, final one. Uh, This character has not yet been named, but she's been hanging out with Polo, and you kind of correctly guessed last episode that maybe Polo has an interest in in this girl he took up. Irene Irene is her name, according to IMDb, not yet revealed in the show. She uh, was the one kidnapped last episode, Polo rescued, and Polo was hanging out with her. So three words for little Irene.
2: I have oblivious because she is just not really understanding why what polo's doing is not okay at this moment where they're just r- lavishing around the streets of rome with rome's money relaxed because she doesn't really seem to even if she de- did find out she didn't really seem to care she was like
0: i'll slip free with this but she's also another word i would describe her she is quite lovely okay okay hmm. Fair enough. BP and Cole, I wrote down a couple things I wanted you to discuss. Do you guys think Cornelia Caesar's wife does Cornelia know about Caesar's medical condition? Does Cornelia know about Caesar's affair? And do you think that Caesar and Pompey are going to clash, which has been teased for three episodes, but you know they're not coming really much closer to drawing swords yet. Curious there. Uh, your thoughts, and uh, if you guys want to discuss anything else, you can. All right, get out of here, kids. My
1: mom
0: and All right, so Jacob, off the bat, here I had a, a biology question for you. Oh. Um, so uh, uh, Caesar Slave Pasca describes, I think, the the chief auger, he calls him a loon because he's asking for 200,000 sesterci. It's like, that's so much. It's like, he's a loon. It's like, I thought about it, it's like. I kind of associate loons with North America, not Italy. Like, does the loons range uh, extend to Italy, do you think? Um, this is not something I, I pondered. Uh, they are a migratory shorebird.
1: Well not, not a shorebird. They're they they live in wetlands is the point. Um, but I would think that there are species of loon widespread. yeah, would I, I would reckon.
0: okay, okay. Uh, did you have anything to pontificate about this episode in terms of historical accuracy?
1: I, I don't know. It feels like, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but, but with such small moves, you know, yep. it's just hard to pinpoint anything.
0: Yeah, this like precise. advanced the drama, not so much any historical events, really. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Um oh. something I did uh, a couple other things I want to shout out though. Crassus actually got a shout out because um when the 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 diviner was talking to Niobe giving her advice, the diviner had said, uh your husband will be rich as Crassus. And I had forgotten oh. about that. He does get an actual name drop.
1: I didn't I wonder, even notice that.
0: Yeah, I wonder if Colin BP picked up on that cuz they're still thinking he's dwelling in That's Egypt. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um and then I had one other thing. So I don't know if you've heard this jacob but caesar for a while has been understood to have suffered from um oh oh gosh i no, it's not cerebral palsy that like gives him a lot of seizures or stuff like that epilepsy that's what i'm thinking of oh yeah Uh, yeah. caesar for a while was thought to suffer from epilepsy although that has been more recently challenged as other things others i see suggest that it's like caesar may have experienced like many strokes occasionally in his life
1: uh what are those called their chronic ischemic attacks or something like that oh
0: okay i i was just curious like because to me a stroke like any amount will do like permanent damage in in my understanding of what a stroke is like uh so do you think like i again your biology not medical background but does that seem like possible to you like uh on the table
1: i mean i think it's possible i know there is some kind of condition where there are like kind of small mini strokes that again i don't i don't know well but i know there's something that exists similar to that it can be an underlying thing that leads to bigger more serious things but i think it can relatively like not impair your life a whole lot oh okay okay um but i uh, i'm speaking out of my butt here so you know take it all with a grain of salt
0: that's what death of the roman republic is all about um (laughs) yeah so let's see here we'll get uh bp and cole back in here is there anything else you want to discuss jacob uh no not covered it all right we'll get him back here
1: oh i thinking of a transient ish gimmick attack not a chronic
0: okay okay all right cole and bp are back in here cole do you think that cornelia knows about caesar's medical condition yes all right bp how about you
3: i
2: think it's just fair to say to answer all these questions cole and i both answered yes
0: (laughs) oh okay so oh so you think she also knows about caesar might be having an affair okay and will caesar pompey clash fair enough okay so we're thinking that there will be a clash and uh uh, knows everything okay fair enough um
3: yeah
0: oh did i oh i said the wrong name sorry Mm -hmm. um oh speaking of names as well real quick colon bp did you guys uh recognize a certain name drop that happened when niobe was visiting that diviner and fortune teller
3: no i'm not recalling
0: so so jacob had brought it up like uh when uh the diviner had said that niobe's husband will be rich as crassus name name drop of a oh. certain someone yeah yeah as i recall like where uh where do you guys think crassus may be at this point oh i uh, uh
3: i i've changed my thoughts on that somewhat
0: oh okay yeah. bp where did where did you think he was at least i said egypt egypt okay cole did you and your quick change of mind
3: uh Egypt is my my now, like, backseat theory. My leading theory is that Crassus is dead, and he's just uh, not relevant.
0: Okay, okay. Because um, I think
3: even if he were in Egypt, I feel like someone would have mentioned him at some point of, like, I wonder what Crassus thinks of his two yeah. friends beefing.
0: Alright, so folks, we are getting to that part of the show where we get to our favorite, funniest moments and possibly least favorite moments from this episode and I believe Cole and BP had a least favorite moment that they had wanted to share first. Uh, Cole, yes. I'll let you lead this here. What what least favorite moment did you have from this episode?
3: Alright, uh, my least favorite. I don't think it was like a bad scene or anything. It just gave me some, uh, some uncomfy flashbacks. It was the scene uh, at the party where Addy is like Look at her, Octavian, and she's like, "Come on, Octavian, be funny, say something funny, because <laughs> that happened to me a lot as a kid." Like... Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so awkward because, like, it's like it's, it, it doesn't just work like that. That's, so, like, that's yeah.
0: fair. Yeah, no, that's that's very valid. Cole, you see, do you see a lot of parallels with yourself and Octavian? Answer uh, carefully.
3: Yeah, uh, not the weird ones, and not really <laughs> the not weird ones. I honestly, not really in any way, no.
0: Okay, okay. Not Celian, as you so kind of yes. put. All right, BP, what was your least favorite part of the episode?
2: It just, this is why it's not my favorite episode of the season thus far. It's just because there, it's just a general thing I noticed throughout this entire episode. And it was kind of more on the nose of it this time. It has these moments where like the scenes are a little bit more spaced out. They're paced and things like that. And then all of a sudden we go to like quick cuts and quick edits A few minutes later, and then we go long, drawn-out scene, and it just kind of some of the pacing just did not feel the most
0: consistent in some areas. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I I understand that, Jacob. You didn't have least favorite, right? Did not. Okay, okay. I just,
1: I just disagree with least favorite.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and Coles.
3: Yeah, yeah. Jacob loved being told to be funny on command.
0: (laughs) I was bad at it. That's why you're on the pod. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's
0: all I got. As we'll get on to our funniest moments from the episode, our chosen funniest moments here. I'll go ahead and go first. Um, I thought, I really like Caesar and Antony's dynamic the whole episode, but just to focus in on their negotiations with the Chief Augur, Jacob did a really good job of like describing everything. So I'll I'll try not to go through all that again. But like uh, when the Chief Augur is telling Caesar about the incorrect barbarian methods of reading uh, Signs of the Gods, Antony's like quietly trailing. And then uh, when Caesar 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 makes his move to go bribe the head auger. Antony, like, literally swoops in on the other side. So, like, you know, they plan this out beforehand, this little negotiation here. Antony is actually the one to suggest that Caesar gives uh, the augur's wife a birthday gift. And as they negotiate, um, Antony makes that little threat. Uh, so third always sunny moment of the episode here. Antony is the Vic Vinegar to Caesar's Hugh Honey throughout the episode. And I, I do mean that, like, jokingly, but also, yeah, they're playing good cop, bad cop, just like uh polo and varinus maybe did the the previous episode as well again Ooh. like different dynamics and parallels but that was my funniest moment who wants to share their funniest moment
1: uh i mine is actually probably the same i had to think for a little bit but uh just Anthony's uh, the the oyster quip specifically is just so good it's like yeah. a lot of you could choke on oysters you gotta be careful <laughs> <laughs> so
0: It's such a really stupid threat as well. Like, is Anthony, like, implying that he's going to choke her while she's, like, (laughs) uh, I don't know, eating oysters? Like, like, eat more.
3: (laughs) I would like to go last for this, and I I have a reason Uh, for it. Okay,
0: okay. BP, what was your funniest moment? I definitely, this is, like, part of it's just because of the
2: crudeness of it all. It's just, like, the humorous aspect that, like, how often, like, the references to testicles are throughout this entire episode in some <laughs> way or capacity it just like i'm just gonna like this is so comfortable with what this with like how often it talks about like met male genitalia or animal male genitalia and
0: things like that yeah 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 that's a good point it does rule
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> all right so uh, i actually have a Three funniest. They're small scenes, so I thought I was justified in putting all three of them here. Uh, the first one is like the 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 news reader, uh, when he's giving the proclamations at the beginning, and he's like, "Yeah, no, like groups of like three men and larger are not allowed to meet." And the two dudes that are sitting there listening to him just like look at each other, like, "Oh, uh. <laughs> like, the mental map as the soldier <laughs> behind them." That and then a uh, the scene uh where adia tells like is brought the the testicles into like oh no these are for me these are for octavia and then it pans over to octavia and he looks up like huh yeah <laughs> like this is just much of a shock to him and then uh, the last one is a right after uh caesar is done with his seizure cuz like we've keep cutting to the the lady like the chef that's like been cooking she's like Hears like Caesar like grunting and groaning and yelling, like in this cupboard. Oh, like, yeah. What, what is going on there? And like, she like peeks over and sees like Octavian open the door, look back and forth, and walk out. And then, uh, sees Caesar walk out. And uh, and she clearly misinterprets what's happening there, but the her indication. reaction is just, yeah, mm-hmm. she's just like, huh. And just shrugs her shoulders and goes back to what she was doing. Yeah. Like, there's no like shocked reaction. It's just like, Neat. <laughs> like, a, I loved it.
0: Yeah thanks for sharing everyone now we'll get to our favorite moments from the episode here um or just favorite things or themes from the episode i'll I'll go ahead and go first here my favorite thing about this episode was uh this episode really showcasing religion as a pillar of roman society and that it's very different compared to how we think of religion nowadays generally like people i feel like more in this episode than in previous ones really invoke the names of many gods throughout the episodes Verenus Mm and his family priest of janus caesar's apparently cursed by Apollo. He makes Octavian swear to Orcus that it'll be a secret. Caesar mentions that Fortuna smiles upon Polo, and he doesn't want to mess with her, the goddess of luck. But even more than invoking all the gods this episode, Varinus, he talks about his military service in religious terms. He tells Antony he did not desert, but he abided his sacrament after he got across the Rubicon. So just religion being so integrated into life is interesting. It's also a tool in economics and government legitimacy because the point of Arenus's prayer to Janus was to have a successful opening feast to start his business venture, and breaking that is a very bad sign. And of course, Caesar spends a lot of the episode negotiating with the chief augur to Jupiter Optimus Maximus. He tells him he's not going to overpower his religious authority. He bribes him for the favorable omen. And it was my interpretation that the chief auger gave a nod to that lady who then released the birds on command. And so mm-hmm. everyone could see or like get the confirmation of a favorable omen. Um So yeah, that mm-hmm. was cool to see uh, the show showcasing the role of religion in both personal and economic and government affairs is something that makes me feel like I'm in a, I'm in a very different alien world. And I applaud this episode for doing that.
3: I can go next. Uh, my personal favorite scene was, uh, the return of our boy polo because yes. he had been gone for like that was cool. half the episode and he just comes in clearly like with a bunch of money and just like like showing his stuff and he's like yeah it's me polo i'm here to uh, chew bubble gum and kick butt and i'm all out of bubble gum
0: <laughs> i i <laughs> legitimately thought like uh polo might not show up this episode and then uh, yeah you know, he comes at the 11th hour all right bp favorite i would have to say my
2: favorite moment is the moment where it's at pompey's camp kind of towards the end when they realize what caesar's plan is all along because mm. it's kind of what we talked about at the end of the episode we just kind of realized like oh everything is just kind of worked towards caesar's favor especially in this episode and i think that kind of just shows like how uh much the political scheming
0: is worth yeah and Jacob to take us home. What was your favorite moment, my friend?
1: Yeah, I think um I think it was that dramatic scene where Caesar's seizure and we're flashing between the seizure and the party upstairs. I, I can't pinpoint exactly like why I like it so much, but uh, just the drama of it and like you know the the back and forth and the the weird dancing and intrigue upstairs, it was all it was all just cool. It was an effective moment
0: yeah i didn't really think that was that special jacob but like the way the way you say it it's like they they're very different scenes that cut back and forth but they got the same frenetic energy like you know caesar's uh brain being overstimulated at the same time very stimulating thing uh dance happening Mm -hmm. so yeah all right well thank you for sharing there everybody now we will get on to our historical accuracy quiz our standings at the present bp Took the lead last week with 16 points, Jacob at 14.5, Cole at 14. We have five questions based on this episode. BP, you are in the lead, so you will answer this question first, followed by Cole and then Jacob. Question one, Pompey Magnus had a few kids in real life. What was the name of one of Pompey's real-life children? Quintus, Sextus, Gaius, or Lucius? BP, yours to answer first. I'm going to guess a quintus all right so who's portrayed in the show fair enough uh cole how about you
3: i'm leaning more towards sextus
0: thinking sextus all right and how
1: about you jacob i'm not letting my hubris get the better of me this time i'm just gonna answer humbly sextus
0: all right uh we got two people thinking it is sextus and it is indeed sextus pompey quintus pompey is an invented character by the show, uh, no real Quintus Pompey, that was Pompey Magnus's son. Question number two, while Varinus' children haven't been named in the show for some reason, I've spilled the beans that the eldest daughter is Verina the Elder, but we also saw the little daughter this episode. So according to Roman naming traditions, what is Varinus' younger daughter's name? Her name is Niobe, Lucia, Niobe the Younger, or Verina the Younger? Cole, this is going to be yours to answer first.
3: I am gonna say D Verena the Younger, all right? Because I think that would be hilarious. But also, I have a, a question just for clarification on just stuff like this. Okay. Would her name literally be Verena the Younger, or is that just what everyone calls her because her name is also Verena?
0: Uh, I will answer that after everyone answers in this hypothetical Fair. situation. If that's correct, BP, yours to answer next. I'm also
2: going to guess D, just based on the context that you're talking about with uh roman naming tradition
0: okay um and jacob how about you
1: keep it simple Verena the younger
0: all right that is correct from everybody there so yeah if you were a a woman born into a family in roman society um, you didn't get a special name or anything like that. You take the family's name, and if there are multiple daughters, then it's the elder, the younger, the third, etc., etc. Now, Cole, back in those times, I don't know if she would have literally been addressed like in the living room, hanging out as Verena the younger, for sure. But on paper, that is how it works. Daughters take the family's name, feminized, and are given a number, basically. Okay. All right, question number three, guys. Caesar wants to be in Jupiter Optimus Maximus's good graces. Jupiter, the best and greatest, is the chief god in the Roman pantheon and is equivalent to what other god? This is one not really explicitly covered in DOTRR, so Jacob doesn't have a natural advantage here, but uh, BP, this is yours to answer first. Jupiter is equivalent to the Christian god, the Jewish god, Zeus, or Odin? I guess C. Zeus, all right. How about you, Cole?
3: The answer is, in fact, C more
0: confident from Cole. And how about you, Jacob? Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad
1: Cole's confident. Cause that's what I wanted to say was see Zeus.
0: All right. Another point from everybody there. Glad to see we all read Rick Reardon and Percy Jackson and the Olympians. That's exactly where I got the, it. The sequel series. <laughs> Um, Alright, question number four. This is another one I really mentioned on DOTRR. When Caesar arrives at Attius' party, a man announces his presence and honors. He pounds on the door with this tool, which represented Caesar's office and powers. What is this tool? A bundle of wood rods and an axe. Called is it the auguries, the longinus, the fasces, or the pylum? Again, Jacob has no natural advantage here. Sorry, bud. Uh, but Cole, yours answer first that tool is the auguries, longinus, fasces, or pylum? I'm
3: gonna say the pylum,
0: pylum from Cole. All right, BP, how about you? I'm also gonna say the pylum, also the pylum. Okay, um, and how about you, Jacob?
1: This is gonna work great for our audio podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I uh, I'm gonna go fascies. I'm gonna go see.
0: All right, uh, great job, Jacob. You got the point there. Yep, that is called a fascies, and yes, the modern word for fascism is descended from that term. That's what I thought. I- All right. Good good job Jacob. And final question coming up here guys. At the end of episode 3, Caesar arrived in Rome. All of this episode 4, Caesar hung out in Rome while the Pompeians were outside the city. In real life, what happened? Did Caesar skip past Rome and execute Pompey and his allies before they could leave Italy? Did Caesar skip past Rome and chase Pompey and his allies and forces out of Italy? Did Caesar's initial advance on Rome get repelled? Or did Caesar advance as far as Rome and lingered there as shown in the show? BP, yours to answer first. What do you think? I'm going to guess B. All right. So BP is guessing that Caesar skipped past Rome. He chased Pompey and his allies out of Italy. Cole, how about you?
3: I'm going to say C.
0: Cole is guessing C, that Caesar's initial advance was repelled. And Jacob, how about you?
1: I can't tell. Exactly. just actually goaded with the sauce (laughs) at roman history or not um or he's just a great guesser because it's it's b
0: all right jacob and bp are correct on those counts in real life caesar skipped past rome he chased Pompey and his allies and forces out of italy so well done well done jacob you got five points there congratulations
3: perfect day can I, can I can i be honest i wanted to pick b but i it felt like we had picked the same we had like all like <laughs> the same answer for every other question so i i wanted to derail that train a little bit Fair. see well, yeah my i gotta pick. try to make
0: these harder or something but i don't want to be too hard for you guys i'm trying to still find that balance okay with that guys we will go ahead and wrap this up here next week D-O-T-R-R is going to be covering HBO's Rome. Season 1, Episode 5, The Ram Has Touched the Wall. You can tweet thoughts about HBO's Rome to at D-O-T-R-Pod on Twitter, or email thoughts to dotrrpod at gmail.com. If you want to learn about the real history, roughly the first half of Death of the Roman Republic, Chapter 12, Caesar v. Pompey covers this, but also last episode of this as well. Like, historically, as Jake and I said earlier, this didn't really make any major advances, just... Uh, enhances the drama please leave rating on apple Podcasts if you are able to and my fellow hosts would you guys care to promote anything in your lives
2: Follow me on letterbox bp oil spill 98 i'm gonna have some reviews up this week of elvis the
0: black phone and nope oh what was your favorite out of all of those definitely nope oh really okay i'd go black phone on that um all right who's next
1: hello my name my name is jacob you can follow me on Twitter at <laughs> soupcatfishyolo at the great wilds for my uh, biology YouTube uh, that will soon get content again because I am not in a theater thing and I am <laughs> not in ultimate frisbee league and so as long as applying to grad school goes smoothly, I can edit things for that YouTube channel.
2: Let's go. Yes. Just wait until fantasy
1: football
0: starts up between us.
1: That is not a commitment
0: that will take <laughs> any time for <from> me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not for you. <laughs> and of course, you know, okay, follow at Soupcat Catfish Yolo. Um good commentary on the new Maggie Rogers album tracks that came so out. So good. It's the album
1: good. is so good.
0: Jacob, is there gonna be like a music update anytime soon? Like
1: uh if I if in the winter I have nothing else to do. Okay.
0: I'll
3: definitely do a top 10 of the year.
0: Okay. Okay. Looking yeah. forward to it. All right. Cole, what are you promoting this week?
3: You know, I've got some things in the works, but not, nothing concrete <laughs> at the moment. So we'll <laughs> see where the next week takes us. He right does on. have things in the works. <laughs> I know about them.
0: All right. Uh, let's see here. Jacob, you took point this episode. So do you want to wrap this up for us?
1: All that being said, friends, Romans, countrymen. I hope you enjoyed the show.
0: Alright, Jacob, most accurate outro so far, I think. But, uh, least practice, good job. Oh wait, cool. I, I should shut up, yeah. Oh, no, I'll isolate that later. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> let's let's all do it.
0: Oh yeah?
3: Three unison, do, do, do we just do it separately and make one? <laughs>
0: I can't wait,